overcome the fear of writing and publishing their books. And I'm so excited to have Patricia Ohud from Switzerland with me. Patricia is a young analyst with 30 years of research into the realms of the personal and collective unconscious, author, lecturer, seminar leader, and adventurer. She postgraduated at the C.G. Young Institute in Zurich in analytical psychology for children, adolescents, and adults. Her passion for personal and collective development has brought her into many fields of experience and research. Passionate about peoples and belief systems, she has traveled the world and has met many different religions, tribes and groups of indigenous peoples. She found the connecting links in their rituals and practices, even amongst peoples that had never heard of one another. For her, this is a living experience of the reality of the collective unconscious. Today, she collaborates with cosmologists and scientists in the United States, Europe, Italy and Russia, who explore dimensions beyond the ego. They refer to these experiments as beyond time and space. Welcome, dear Patricia. I'm so excited to have you on my show. Good morning, Esther. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with the first question. What has been your turning moments in life? Well, there have been many. Uh, some are more uh, outstanding than others, of course. Some are subtle. But I think discovering Jung was definitely a turning point, yes. I was 18 years old. I was on the benches of Liverpool University. And we had a psychology professor who our curriculum was devoted to Freud, of course, in those days. And our professor took an afternoon off to talk about Jung. And that was it. A thousand lights went on in my brain. It was just a, a real moment of revelation. And I, I remember what I was thinking. I was thinking, ah, this man Jung really knows what it's all about. He, this, this is someone who's got it. And that was a big turning point, yes, because ever since Jung has been a path, uh, what he proposes has been a path that I've been devoted to mm -hmm. all my life. Now I'm in my 74th year. And uh, yes, it's been uh, a red thread all the way through. <laughs> It's been a great thread for me. Imagine so, you haven't had Jung in your life. What well, it would be the same, except that he was a conscious teacher. But I can imagine it would be the same because my passion for peoples and discovery, uh, actually my initial instinct was that I wanted to understand what people believe in. I was absolutely passionate. Already as a child, I thought, well, what do people believe in? And uh, that led me uh, all over the world, really, seeing different uh, indigenous peoples and tribes, and very often spontaneously, I just go to places uh, off the beaten track or uh, in the backwaters of the world, and uh, thing, things happen. Mm. Things happen, meetings, meetings come about. So yes, I, I, it would have been the same except that I had the luck to have a very conscious, a conscious teacher. Mm -hmm. 
Do you remember, Patricia, what you believed when you were a child, when you were a young girl? Well, my mother was a Catholic. She was Irish Catholic, and she was very, very, uh, very devoted. And I frankly tried my best. Uh, I tried. <laughs> Uh, I think my first communion was a huge disappointment. I expected a revelation. I was five years old and I didn't get it. <laughs> and later I went to boarding school where we had nuns and uh, we had spiritual retreats with the Jesuits and we had uh, personal studies to, to carry out. And I tried my best. But What does that mean? I tried. I devoted myself to the process, but somewhere it didn't click. It wasn't enough. It, that wasn't, I didn't get the it moment. Not that I deny Christianity, but I include, I think Christianity was wrongly interpreted, actually, for me. Um, and it, it's actually in the East that I got a different viewpoint on Christianity when uh, in India, I discovered that Christ was considered an avatar, like the Indian avatars, like the avatars, who uh, came to bring light to the world. So that was a better interpretation for me uh, than what I had learned uh, by plodding through uh, all, all the experience that I had uh, sincerely attempted, but didn't work for me. Yeah. I think all religions are one piece and that's, um, they just have different colors. Did you hear when you're um, young, did you hear God talking to you or didn't it exist or how was it? When I was young, I heard the fairies talking to me. What <laughs> <laughs> um, heard... did I tell you? They, they gave me blessings. And um, they invited me to dance. Um, and those were very ecstatic experiences, dancing with the fairies um, as a child. They were actually things that I forgot uh, because it happened on a very deep unconscious level. And then when I began my analysis, all the fairies came zooming back in again. That's mm -hmm. yeah. very light. <laughs> So God translated himself into entities of nature for me. And that is still where I find God in nature, in the manifestations and the encounters in nature. And I, uh, I'm a believer in that. And where did you travel first to explore the, the world of the, the belief systems, the peoples, indigenous? Yes, well, my brother was a doctor for the American Indians. Uh, so I, my first contact was the American Indians. Uh, I became especially interested in the Northwest Indians, uh, the Haida specifically, <clears throat> pardon. And the, there are many, many groups up there, the Salish, the Kwakitul, the Haida, the Cree, the, the, the clinkets, uh, very sweet. So, so I became uh, very interested because I said to my brother, you can't just go into a tribe and practice medicine. You have to understand uh, the mythology and the rituals of people to approach them. So that was my contribution to um, understand 
the mindset of the Indians that began that way. And then I kept going further north into the Arctic Circle, which I had an, an extreme kind of um, attraction to. The, the vastness where you feel vast with the, the vastness around you and where you feel like you've got one foot in the cosmos and one foot on the earth. That was my feeling. Which uh, place was that? I traveled to the north of uh, Nunavut. It's uh, way up top of Ellesmere Island. Mm -hmm. There's nobody up there. There's nothing up there. Um, I did meet the, a community of Inuits. They're the, the highest uh, on the planet, uh, the highest position on the planet, a community of 120. So I stayed with them for quite some time and integrated their belief systems. And then later on, the evangelists came and Christianity came and things became tainted. But in those days, um, there was a very pure transmission of their belief systems. And then I traveled to Russia and um, India, the East, uh, in Laos, I met an, an extraordinary shaman. Um, yes. I've been to many places, all of Africa, South America. I was very much a fan of Castaneda in the 70s. And I met Castaneda, I worked with Castaneda. I was there before he died. Uh, the shamanic principles really appealed to me. Wow. Castaneda knew he was leaving this plane. And the theory of the shaman is that you gather your energies uh, for the end. Uh, you don't close your eyes, you, you keep your eyes wide open and you go for the flight. Uh, and that's, that was a different interpretation of a way to die for me. Uh, and um, I believe in it. I believe in it. I believe in uh, living the passage, even into, even into the end. Mm -hmm. So that was, I've met many shamans, yes, some I've, been a lot in Russia, in the Altai region. Uh, I've had a shaman come to Switzerland. He's come five times. He's worked with groups here, learning the shamanic uh, medicine and uh, approach, psychological yeah. approach. That's been very enlightening, very fulfilling for a lot of people. Lots of people come. Lots of people come. They're very attracted to shamanism today because shamanism is actually the basic original belief system of humanity at the, in the origin uh, to live in a very threatening nature uh, man had very highly developed instinct he could hear uh, he could hear many miles away and he could uh, he, he, he could sense he could sense what was in the invisible uh, what what's invisible for us so we still have that somewhere in our reptilian brains, but we've forgotten about it. Mm. We've forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It. What has struck you the most? I, I know there must be many things, but what if, are there some beliefs which struck you the most from what you learn from all these shamans and Inuits and Indians? What strikes me the most is their reverence. This 
intense reverence. And it's extremely contagious. When people are in, in a state of intense reverence, then you just feel the reverence yourself. Sometimes not even knowing what the ceremony is about or who the God is or what the spirit, who the spirit is. But that intense reverence is something that, um, that we've lost we've lost and which exists amongst the um, indigenous peoples. They have this reverence for mother earth, for the sun, the stars, the skies, whatever, for the entities in nature, for the spirits. They have a reverence and that reverence is, uh, that attracts me most, their reverence. The reverence to nature. The reverence to what they believe in what they believe in. Yes, that's mm. very attractive. Mm. And how does it help you in your daily life, all these things you learn from these peoples? Well, in daily life, um, it's like having four eyes, two eyes outside and two eyes inside. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, contact with these peoples have awakened the inner eyes. That's for sure. Uh, so I feel the inside and outside at the same time. And uh, that's been a gift. Mm -hmm. uh, and very often the inside is sufficient for me. Uh, I, I go into the inner world and I'm very happy there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very happy there. Mm -hmm. Are there some other spirits than the fairies from your childhood now? Now? You mean present now? Yes. Well, I'm actually interested, you know, this is since COVID, I'm interested in uh, Swiss fairies. <laughs> the Swiss don't know that they have a fairy belief. And um, if you go to the High Valley, for example, people will tell you about meeting with fairies and entities in nature. So I find that fascinating. You know, you can look all over the world and all of a sudden the, uh, the acorn drops exactly where you are. So um, yes, I have a shaman friend here and we've decided to explore uh, Swiss fairies. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> the Swiss don't know that they have a, a, a folklore. Many Swiss don't know they have a folklore. And a folklore is, of course, a language from the collective unconscious, and it has many messages and many, much meaning mm. for the psyche of the people. So that's... And the people who are listening now, what can you tell them? What can you give them advice for daily life to cope with all the challenges we have? What would you tell our audience. Yes, well, people get exhausted by uh, assuming too many challenges. Uh, there's only one way, the way is in for me, which means people have to take care of their dreams, take care of the unconscious, because everything that's given in your life pattern is in your own unconscious. Everything that you have to deal with or resolve or get beyond, uh, your own unconscious will tell you and taking care of your unconscious uh, brings you close to instinct. 
and people have forgotten that they have, Jung says people have forgotten they have instinct. It's true. When people have to make choices, just stop. Choices shouldn't be calculated, they should be felt through instinct and it changes everything. And maybe instinct isn't rational and that's where the conflict comes, comes up. Uh, instinct may not be rational, but it still wants you to go that way. And to follow the path of instinct is, is a straight line. It's a straight path. And many have, you know, adapted, had huge adaptations and come back to an original instinctive drive that they had and picked up the thread from the past. I've seen it very often. In the second half of life, all of a sudden people say, okay, they're a bit saturated and they go back to something that they had felt uh, earlier on in life that they wanted to achieve. So um, I think, yes, it's the inner world that has to light up, that has to become uh, more credible. Mm. And once you take care of your dreams, once you take care of the unconscious, the unconscious responds. It speaks back to you. And it speaks about your life and it speaks about your reactions you know you may have uh, an encounter with someone difficult and then your unconscious participates your unconscious participates um, so i think it's very precious to have that also taking care of the unconscious gives you a uh, like a, a ground of solidity within that's the only thing that could save and has saved mankind over and beyond all he has had to live. Uh, it's that inner ground of solidity. And then it becomes faith. You believe in that solidity. You believe you do have a path. You believe that life does have a meaning. So uh, yes, we all have an unconscious. Every human being has an unconscious. We have to get back. You know, this isn't new. Uh, this has only been cut off since the Age of Enlightenment in the middle of the 17th century. But before that, uh, people knew they had an unconscious. And people calculated even times of battle according to the stars, according to the cosmos, according to different signs and omens. Uh, yeah, so it's... It's something that just has to be retrieved. It's not something that's new, connecting yeah. the inner spheres. And what can we do, do, Patricia, for our daily life? What are the rituals you recommend to others? Well, I think the first step is taking care of your dreams. Yes, one goes to bed at night with an intention to take care. And in the morning on, on awakening, uh, just have the give it attention, some attention and write your dreams because uh, with the dates. And of course, the feeling tone is very important. Like I have a dream uh, of a terrible storm, but in the dream that could be wonderful or in the dream that could be terrible. So the feeling tone of the dream is very important uh, to write as well. And it's, it's a very fulfilling activity even before people understand their dreams fully but it's fulfilling because it brings one into contact with the deeper ground in oneself and um, 
with instinct. Instinct's also linked, closely linked to creativity. <clears throat> and creativity is not a rational uh, event. It's not a rational happening. Creativity is a, uh, a spontaneous, uh, intuitive event. Even Einstein admitted that. Everyone used to say Einstein was the most brilliant man, the most intelligent man on the planet Earth. Einstein would say, no, it doesn't come from intelligence. It comes from imagination. It comes yeah. from intuition. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's where we have to get back to imagination and intuition. Yeah. How much time do you spend uh, daily on your dreams, Patricia? Well, I write my dreams every day, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm always working um, with the unconscious. I'm always working with other people's dreams, children's dreams. Also with, uh, I do sand play, uh, with spontaneous compositions in the sand, also with spontaneous drawing. I've been encouraging people to do spontaneous drawing for the past 40 years. Mm. You've and written a book. Yes, I've written a book on it. Um, I think it's there. Yeah, I've written the book. It's a young approach. Young approach to spontaneous drawing. It's um, it gives the basics of Jung's uh, structure and dynamics of the psyche, and I think everyone who works with other people should understand that the psyche has a structure and a dynamic, like the body has an anatomy and a physiology. Our psyche has a structure and a dynamic and uh, that's very important to know and understand it mm, it's easy to understand um, so my book is uh, easy reading it's also my mission to make what's complicated accessible mm. Mm -hmm. so yes i take care of uh, the unconscious all the time like i say i feel it when it reacts and uh, I stop and take care. Mm -hmm. I live with it. Like Jung lived with the personality number one and number two. I think it's the same for me. I live with the personality number one and number two. <clears throat> I've come to an age and stage where there's no point in following a drive. Um, I have to follow where my feeling, intuition and instinct want to go. Uh, so it's... it's um, a very relaxed stage of life, mm -hmm. a very fulfilling stage of life. And this is a very spontaneous process at this age of life. Um, there, there are spontaneous processes at every turning point in life, actually. But at my age, uh, things drop away that don't count anymore. Uh, things become important that weren't so important before. So there's a kind of an intrapsychic spontaneous change and it's wonderful to follow it. It's the leader and not my ego anymore. And that's very relaxing, very refreshing. Amazing. And if you have, I'm sure you have some dreams or goals you would achieve, what would it be? Be? what are your dreams where would you go research or if it's possible yes well I'm going to take off again I've been calm for the past two years I've only been to Ireland um, but now I will take off again to the east 
uh, and um, it's just an intuition. It's a place in space. I'm very devoted to the Japanese kami, kami religion. Uh, in the kami religion, there are no gods and no prophets. There are no books. There's only the divine in nature. And there are two ways of accessing, and one is through concentration and the other through purification. And that's something that really um, appeals to me. I like to be steeped in that uh, connection. So yes, next time this year will be the East once again. Mm. Which place? Probably the islands north of Japan. Mm. Mm. And uh, if you can choose for next year, where would it go? Or which place in this world would you like to explore? Well, I work with Russian scientists and they have a post in the Arctic as well. Uh, <laughs> Russian Arctic is very different from the American Arctic, the Nunavut Arctic. Um, because when you go from one A to B, you need a different permit permission to be there. Mm -hmm. So, but now with my scientists, I can organize that we go together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love the, just the vastness of the Arctic and the people are beautiful. The people are beautiful. They're just so completely natural. And you know, one thing is very special. People, people only ask your name. They don't know, want to know what you do, uh, who, you, who you are. They don't want to know anything about you. They just take you completely 100,000% as you are in the moment. And I love that. Uh, no badges, no persona, just uh, here you are with yourself. And that's always very precious. Mm. It's always, and it's always like that. People don't care what you do in, in, in the world. They, they meet you. And that's a different experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas we, we want to know, we always want to know what the other does. <laughs> they, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't care what you do. They don't ask. And do you feel different, Patricia, if you meet someone who just sees you looks in your eyes do no. you feel a different person or no no just just being me is very refreshing mm. no no it's uh yeah the people you know we've persecuted the indigenous people and yet they're the ones who who have the primordial knowledge that we need um our planet is in a terrible state. You know, I was driving down the road the other day and I thought, but everybody's talking about it. But as we're talking about it, we're still putting all this, this the poison into the air, into the atmosphere. Uh, we're still pouring plastic into the ocean at, at, at the same moment. We're talking about it, but we're still doing it. Mm. And uh, that puts us in a position of having a mission to come back to basics. Yes. Um, I have a group of young children who talk about life because it's important to talk about life. We don't have the school of life anymore. 
but the ancients used to have the school of life. So we talk about different things and I ask them if they believe in extraterrestrial beings. Uh, this group is from nine to 12. They're nine years old to 12 years old. So they all do, they all believe in extraterrestrial things. And one uh, 10 year old said, yes, well, they're just here. Uh, they're looking on, they're waiting for us to wipe ourselves out and they're going to come in and do a better job. And that was his idea. And he's 10 years old. But I find that the kids are, the children are into something else. I find they do have confidence because they do have a mission. And identification isn't so much vertical anymore. You know, from father to son, they have a very strong identification amongst themselves, a very strong horizontal identification. And they're into something and uh, they have confidence. They have a mission and it's very encouraging. I love being with the young people. Mm -hmm. I love working with them. I love to see them coming. I've also had some very difficult young people in my practice, you know, very rebellious, very angry, very, uh, but I, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like their energy. Mm -hmm. mm. I've actually never had a, uh, an adolescent who didn't want to come back. I never had that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they all do come back. But, yeah. mm -hmm. How about fear? Do you know fear in your life? Yes, but I've a, I do have a philosophy about fear. Beyond the fear, there is no fear. Tell me more. So uh, the core of every ego knows fear. Fear is at the core of every ego because the ego is limited. But beyond the fear, there is no fear, even in the face of death. People do not have fear. Uh, so there is a place and space beyond the ego where there is no fear. So people repress fear and get busy and do things and change their, shift their attention. But I invite people to go into the core of the fear, to feel it fully, to be completely immersed in it, invaded by it. And then something happens. Then the fear changes and it changes spontaneously. So yes, I have uh, my own philosophy about fear, but I've often seen beyond the fear, there is no fear. Mm. And uh, that's my conviction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, my, that's my experience and my conviction. So yes, I'm not, fear doesn't convince me. It's not because I'm afraid of something that uh, I'm going to be led by the fear. Um, it's good to stop and recalculate or fear is also useful, you know, uh, fight and flight uh, reactions, fear reactions are instinctive. Uh, so fear can be useful. But uh, we have in our personalities, we fear based personalities, we have anger based personalities. We have emotional-based personalities. So there's always a dominant. Some people just get angry. They don't go into fear. That's an alternative. Um, and some people just really 
go into a state of fear, 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 fear. Mm. So to resolve fear is important and everybody can have an experience beyond fear, everybody, because the space beyond fear is just there. It's a reality. Mm. What kind of tips do you have for our audience regarding fear or anger? Well, not to believe in it as a, a solution, um, not to believe in it, uh, to know that there is a place and space beyond it and to aim at that, to aim at achieving uh, that. And once you've lived it once consciously, because we do live it, but once you live it once consciously, then, um, then you know it exists. It's credible. Everything is experiential. Everything is empirical. Everything is about self-experience. Mm. You know, I was lost once in the desert in Egypt because I had been with uh, 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 Swiss friends who lived there in Cairo. And I was out in the desert collecting sand. And I had their chauffeur who always accompanied me. Back, but he always walked behind me. So here I am out in the desert, and all of a sudden I couldn't see Bakri anymore. I couldn't find him. And um, you know, in the desert, if you turn five centimeters to the right or the left, you you don't know where you came from. So it was it was very hot and very cold, and uh, night fell very quickly, and it was freezing cold. I was freezing cold, but I wasn't afraid. I just kept walking. And I just kept walking, kept walking, walking. And all of a sudden, I heard voices in the dark uh, speaking French. And I thought, oh, this is what a mirage is like in the desert. But in fact, I followed the voices, and it was a team of French archaeologists uh, uh, who had camped there. Wow. So, um, you know, could have been an extremely scary situation. I wasn't afraid at all. I just kept walking. So there are times when you're, you're simply beyond fear. Mm. You just do what you have to do instinctively. Mm. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, to take the fear on board, um, make it a name to find that place and space beyond fear. Mm -hmm. And it's a practice, but the more you practice, the easier it becomes to come back to that place, that landing place within yourself where everything is fine, no matter what's going on. Mm, beautiful. Where everything is fine. So where can people reach you, Patricia? I'm in Lausanne. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, I can give you my email address. Mm -hmm. We will link the website into the show notes so people can find you there as well. Yes, my website uh, still mm -hmm. being set up. But there's a website, yes, you can access. And uh, by email, of course, or mm -hmm, yeah. WhatsApp or whatever. Mm -hmm. Great. So for closing this beautiful interview, I'd like us, I'd like you to give us some three truths you would 
summarize from your life, from all your experiences, from three truths. You want me to give you three um, messages, most important <laughs> messages you'd love to give to our audience? Well, I think uh, beyond the fear, there is no fear. Uh, developing instinct is uh, essential for living life and uh, connecting with the, the unconscious is the most fulfilling experience that one can have. Mm. Uh, that's the, those are my messages. Mm. Okay. So thank you so much, Patricio, for having been here. I wish you, you. all the best. <laughs> thank you, Esther. Have a lovely day. Mm -hmm. Take care. Namaste. <laughs> mm -hmm.